Hey everyone, welcome to episode number eight of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Sam Spinelli's with me. He looks like he was just taking some screenshots or some video of uh, me introing it. So he's got a big smile on his face. Uh, I do eventually plan to start getting the video versions of these up on YouTube. I've been procrastinating. I apologize. But uh, you'll have the, if you're listening to this, chances are right away it's audio. But uh, Sam is a good friend of mine from the industry. So we have the doctor in the house today. He is a doctor of physical therapy. He's also a really accomplished strength coach and strength athlete in a lot of barbell sports. This dude is strong. So if you haven't seen him lifting yet, he's a strong motherfucker. Uh, you're the co-founder of Citizen Athletics, co-founder of E3 Rehab. You are a dad and uh, your brand on social media is The Strength Therapist. So it's great to have you back. Great to talk to you. Thanks, man. Appreciate having me on. Well, it was an easy thought. When I was compiling a list of people I wanted to throw up here, you know, after rebranding and kind of hosting it solo, uh, you were tops on that list. And, uh, you know, I sandwiched you in right after Tony Gentlecore. I've got a yeah. guest for next week. I've got Lee Boyce coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, we've had people like uh, Gareth Sapstead and Matthew Ibrahim on recently. So it's been a bit of fun crowd, a very, very technically brilliant crowd of trainers. Yeah, sounds like it. So I, I, it, Monday hit and I realized, shit, uh, that weekend, this past weekend, from where we're recording, it'll be a week away from when you listen to this, we were supposed to have you here. You were supposed to be one of my mm -hmm. speakers at the Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium, the uh, event that Dean Somerset and I and Evolve, the, the gym that we contract, both contract under, uh, we all partner and we hosted it in 2019. It was a blast. It went really well. And we had a great lineup this year. You, Jordan Syed, Christian Thibodeau, John Goodman, Brian Cron, Megan Calloway, Dean Somerset, Lee Boyce, uh, Hannah Gray. So that was going to be huge. I was looking forward to this thing. But, you know, we decided early on, given COVID and all the crap that 2020 has dropped on us, it wouldn't be a very good idea to try to go forward with it. So we'll look forward. We'll look to 2021. And, I mean, you have an open invitation if the scheduling works. You're part of my lineup. So I suppose the embedded question here is, with all that did change with this year, how did you approach this year as it went on, uh, not just to sustain your actual business and pivot however you had to, but to take advantage of all the opportunities that were embedded in this year and to set yourself up for a strong 2021 onward? Yeah, you know what? That's a great question. I think it has been a very easy year to look at the negatives and really focus on the things that were missed. And like you just said, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of opportunities for growth and it was just about finding them and choosing to continue onwards with them. So for me, you know, uh, I'm fortunate that I did have quite a large online presence already and that I had been pushing towards that to a degree. But what a lot of people may not know is that um, from June of 2019 until uh, COVID, I've been working on building an in-person practice practice here as well. And so I would work with people for injuries, for performance needs. And obviously like that took a very substantial hit. And I was up to the point where I was seeing sometimes 30, 40 people in a week. And that's a, uh, <laughs> a, a quite challenging amount to take a loss on. But I was able to figure out a few solutions to that, you know, seeing people online, etc. But some things that I tried to also do is put more time and energy into things that would probably provide a longer term return for me. So for instance, working on my social media platforms beyond just the ones that I'm already, that I was already more proficient with, 
So uh, an example is my YouTube channel with both Citizen Athletics and YouTube or uh, Citizen Athletics and E3 Rehab. I started to put more effort into learning how to be better at actually recording videos, taking on a more actual cinematic approach, learning how to be more proficient with my speaking on camera, developing all the skills that would hopefully return to having videos that would do better, last longer, and probably reach more people than I had previously. And I have seen that uh, growth now, like E3 Rehab, for instance, started the year around one or 2,000 subscribers on YouTube and is up to, uh, probably by the time this comes out, just around 10,000. And that's it, like on YouTube, that's a huge growth. And we've had a couple, we've had a video now clear 100,000 uh, 100, views, which was phenomenal for us. And Citizen Athletics has had uh, relatively similar growth as well. And that's things that I probably wouldn't have done if I was so focused on my in-person practice as much. And now I'm not making a boatload of money off of those things by any means. I would have made more from my in-person practice, but I think that in the long term, it'll help me a lot. It'll reach more people in my local area. It'll be things that I can send to people for help and assistance. And it'll again, continue to grow my presence online, which will theoretically give me a good long-term return. And then, I've also tried to shift in some of the perspective that I have on how I can help people in general. And something that Citizen Athletics has done in particular is we've focused on trying to offer as many things as we can while staying afloat. Um, uh, sorry, offering as many things as we can for free while staying afloat. So we've been giving away tons of programs that were designed for home offers, um, being able to help people that are not members, are not paying me in any way, and giving them programming, going on calls even with people, jumping on and providing time, whatever we can do essentially to help individuals that are struggling with different circumstances and trying to figure out a solution for them. We've also been doing more Q&As, more private stuff that's offered to uh, previously just our membership and now we've been expanding it out to anyone that is looking to get some benefits. So you know again like in the short term I'm not really gaining anything from this. My uh, bank statement has definitely not been as wonderful as it could be, but I'm afloat. Like I'm not, I'm not going bankrupt. And at the same time, I'm trying to find options to be able to support the community, support individuals that are struggling. And in the long term, that'll probably be something that then they reflect on positively when they think of me. And it might mean that, you know, they watch a video that they would have otherwise, they might hit like, they might do something that helps me and I, I'll appreciate it. If, that, if not, then at least I was able to do something positive out in the world. So trying to do a lot of things like that. And then also self-development for myself from a standpoint of trying to go down the route of learning more in the things that I wanna be really good at, which is again, I discussed like my public speaking and abilities on camera, but then also my knowledge and depth in some areas of the field. So. Previously, my knowledge on biomechanics was good from a strength coach standpoint, okay from a physio standpoint, but I wanted to increase it to the highest level I could. So I basically asked a few of my biomechanist research friends, um, have you had, oh, I'm gonna uh, blank on his name, um, uh, Bumblebee, uh, 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 is it Tim? Uh, I feel bad. Uh, <laughs> Are you Tim D. Francisco? No, uh, a PhD researcher out in, uh, 
fitness pollinator. Uh, oh God, Travis Pollen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Yeah. So I, I like, Sorry, Travis. <laughs> I talked with Travis and I talked with another friend of mine um, who are both, you know, PhDs in biomechanics. And I asked them about different textbooks that I could read and just start to get as much into the depth of the field as I could. So that as I continue down this path that I've found myself on in rehab and injury, I can start to really discuss more minutia that I otherwise couldn't have. So, you know, just trying to find these little glimpses of ways that I can continue to grow as an individual in the times where this opportunity would made me not have been present. So yeah, I, I actually did have uh, Travis back on the podcast. This probably would have been a year and a half ago or something like that. He's a great dude. I met him at Tim Arntz, another Tim, uh, Inland Empire Fitness Conference in Spokane. I went to it for a couple of years. Obviously, that stuff all got shut down this past year. Travis was a presenter along with people like James Krieger and Brad Dieter and Chad Landers, and a lot of other really great people from the industry. So really fun event. I hope we're able to reboot it again next year or onward. And yeah, so I've had Travis on. He's smart dude, really, really technically brilliant guy. Um, I did something similar where, you know, I've been lucky. I've been coaching in person the entire time. I had a home gym set up. Um, so I had more time than usual. And I've also been putting a lot of effort into my social media. I mean, the scale of my social media is not the same as yours. You've got a really big following. But I also sat down and I made a priority of a handful of you know, technical training books and various things. Most recently, I'm just nearly completed the language of coaching by Nick Winkleman. And I don't know if you've checked this thing out and I'm going to bring Nick on the podcast. I've already been talking to him and this thing is an utter game changer. So everybody listening, like, it's worth checking out this book. A big premise of the book, it's very neuroscience heavy in the very start of it. So it's kind of ironic that I think I've said this before, that a book about the language of coaching is really hard to read in the very first part. But once you get past that, you get into, he gets into external versus internal cueing and the research on how superior external cues are when actually coaching. Not, not all language has to be external because you need internal body part awareness focused language to actually teach and set up stuff but when you're actually cueing and coaching it it should be very very simple just one thing he talks about attention and memory it like gets really in depth on this stuff and then about how effective the external cues are and i've noticed myself using some stuff that i've never thought of traditionally i had but i've added some stuff to the repertoire and it's night and day more effective so it's changed how i coach and, and I am better as a result of having read this book. So I recommend it to anybody. And like I said, I'll talk to Nick in the hopefully not terribly distant future because I want to expand more on it. And I read um, Michael Boyle's uh, Advances in Functional Training. And honestly, that just is an incredible book that everybody should read. And up next, I think I have The Back Mechanic by Dr. Stu McGill. So I'm just trying to elaborate on my technical knowledge base because you know having done this for 10 years, I look at it and go, well, you know, I actually didn't read necessarily a lot of the seminal textbooks in our space, just picked up a lot of things along the way, a lot of continuing ed, a lot of seminars, a lot of working for the same company as Dean Somerset for a really long time and started my career. I had so much free education and stuff with Dean. And then of course I paid any pay for anything that he taught. And, you know, I went to you and him did one together a couple of years ago. That's where you and I first met. And every opportunity I get to go to that sort of stuff is one of my primary vehicles of education. So yeah, it's been a, a year focused on learning as much as I bloody can. And it's not just the technical stuff too. And, and I put this on my social media a lot. 
you read books on writing. My writing only is a big priority for me, getting really great at that stuff. Um, reading about, honestly, sales, right? human psychology, all that sort of stuff. And people are scared to death of the idea of sales. Like, oh, you know, sales is, is this bad thing. No motherfucker. Like if you're trying to convince a client to do something they don't want to do uh, and they're already your client, or if you're trying to you know, get your girlfriend to go to the restaurant you want to go to instead of what she wants to go to, you're selling someone on every little bit of persuasion that you're, uh, that you have. So being good at sales is going to be great directly, but it's also going to help you in every aspect of it. So a lot of it is about the mindset you have about sales. If you think of sales as this dirty thing, you're going to have problems. It's just a skill that you require. It's not unethical, but to actually influence people to make decisions. And overwhelmingly, if you have ethics, those decisions are going to be things that are in their best interests, right? No, absolutely. That was something that I struggled with too a lot. I actually worked for that same company you're referencing earlier um, for a, a brief stint, and uh, I had a uh, I, I had experience when I started with them, which actually allowed me to go into it and do quite well. And then, yeah, something that I think I've benefited a lot from is having spent time early on in my career from influences with individuals like Dean saying, like, I need to learn how to sell. I need to learn to appreciate form just communication it's not this like dirty thing like you mentioned if you can just find an avenue to be able to converse the value be able to demonstrate where the person benefits all those different factors and be able to make meaningful connection to that person it's going to be something you're going to do in all sorts of settings it's not just when you're trying to formally sell and i think that's something that we do when we're building rapport with a client when we're doing it in the case of like a physical therapist all sorts of settings and yeah, I think people don't appreciate just how valuable it is. Because when you're even just convincing someone why they should do an exercise, you're selling them all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm horrible for this stuff. And I mean, how many of your clients, you give them the shit that will make them feel better and they don't turn around and go do it, right? And I mean, I've had that problem where like I've been given rehabilitation stuff by, you know, you know Darren Bishop. I've had some time with him and then uh, another uh, PhD in physical therapy, uh, Jason Dick, who's, who's local. He's an awesome dude. And these guys have given me a bunch of shit and like some of it's really helped me, but some of it I just <laughs> won't do. Right. It's that's on me. Right. Too. But you know, at its essence, I'm also a big believer in taking total ownership and control of everything. So if a client is not doing something that is in their best interest that I want them to do, then if I haven't convinced, I've done a good job of convincing them to do it, then that's my fault. That's a failure in my ability to communicate and coach. And, and that's okay. If you want to take the word sales out of it, it's communication, it's persuasion, it's influence, but it's, uh, it, it ultimately is selling someone on making a choice. It's a critical skill. Any trainer needs it, not just for their ability to you know, make money. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with doing what you love and earning a comfortable living and over time earning more money doing this. Like it's not unethical to make money and profit off of skills that you have, especially if those skills are enriching the people's lives that you're working with. A lot of people I work with over the years, their lives are indescribably better as a result of our relationship and the work they put in. So I feel good about selling someone. And this is something I've often said. If you are uncomfortable selling the person in front of you, and I'm not talking about pushing through aggressively through a whole bunch of legitimate 
uh, uh, objections. I'm talking about if you're afraid to ask for the business, that person will probably walk out and then maybe it'll be a little while and they'll drive by, you know, the, the Globo gym. Then they feel on impulse, oh, shit, I need to lose the weight. And they're going to walk into that Globo gym and they're going to get sold by a salesperson who is better at sales than you are. And they may be assigned to a qualified trainer or they may be assigned to someone who isn't qualified and they don't have a very good experience. And that could be, maybe they quit after a couple weeks. Maybe they get hurt. Um, maybe they don't develop the habits and lifestyle behavior. Maybe they're put on a diet that's not right for them. And long-term, they have a negative outcome and a bad experience in our industry. So if you had been more persuasive and better at, and more confident in asking for the business, I use this phrase, I would love to have your business. Does that sound salesy? Does that sound pressuring? No. And, and anyone listening, steal this. I would love to have your business. And it's very, very rare that someone turns around and is like, nah, you know, most of the people who find me is through referral. They're, they're already kind of self-selecting and pre-qualified anyway. But I, I found that to be, because like you, I, I struggled with the idea of sales early on in my career too. You know, I was intimidated by it. I didn't, didn't think I was great at it. it. Turns out I'm great at it. It's just, I approach it with a different mindset than, you know, the, the slick, you know, that used car salesman stereotype that needs to die, but well, it still exists in that part of the world. Exactly. And I think a valuable thing for a lot of trainers as well is understanding the value that they can bring to someone. You mentioned about how much impact you have for all those people in their lives. And if someone brings good coaching to the table and helps to actually enrich someone's life, it is so valuable, especially if you're in the fields of working with the general population. Like the majority of humans do not exercise. The majority people in North America are overweight, have some sort of comorbidity and getting them moving and help providing them some accountability to just show up and exercise can have a drastic change on their life that will impact them so far and above just like the other various ways that they could spend any of their income. So if you can have that impact where they start to make healthy choices by just being present, providing good coaching, giving them ways that they can actively exercise and safe options and being consistent with them, that's going to be so beneficial for those. And a big thing is like a lot of people just don't realize how important that is. And they don't feel confident being able to explain that to the client. They don't feel comfortable then being able to explain the pricing, not even like for a lot of the um, trainers and coaches I've talked to, the sleazy car salesman part isn't even necessarily the full issue. It's like they get to the point where they have to bring up the costs and they are then uncomfortable. And, yeah. And that can be, it's understandable. Like if you don't totally value what you can provide to that degree, it is obviously going to be uncomfortable, but if you can realize the value that you bring for that dollar, then you're more and more comfortable being able to just explain it. And you think, think about the way that people spend money. You know, you're, you think, Oh, you know, I'm not worth $50 an hour. Like Jesus, I mean like $50 an hour as a trainer is pretty bargain stuff. So you should, if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you're someone invested and working hard at getting education to the point where you're worth a lot more than $50 an hour. I've worked in a casino. I actually was a professional poker dealer for a while, a very long time ago. I don't know if I've ever shared that on here before. And you see people come in and buy in for two to $500 and play aggressively. And, and I've seen them dump it, walk out within half an hour to 45 minutes. I mean, there's a lot of skilled players who can win at it. But more often than not, a lot of those people, you walk out with 
you know, a session, they've lost $200 or more. And then they come back two or three more times during the week. I mean, you know, if they're paying you $80 an hour, two to three times a week, then that's a lot less expensive than some people's poker habits. Now, again, that's gambling. It's a whole different ballgame. But, you know, some of those same people are, are eating out two or three times a week at a restaurant. And people will find very creative ways to spend their money. And you think about the difference in value. There's another, I read an article a long time ago, and apparently there's some good research on this. And I want you guys to sort of grab onto and absorb this. The, you'll probably notice that the clients you've had are probably people who travel. So there's two ways people tend to spend their money. They spend their money on material possessions, and then they spend their money on experiences. Now there's overlap. I'll give you a good example uh, in a moment. But people who spend their money on experiences, on average, are far happier than people who focus primarily on accumulating material possessions. So I recently bought a record player, right? Um, my girlfriend bought me a record, and so I'm like, well, shit, now I need a record player. So I bought this thing. And, you know, with speakers and everything, and I went out and bought a few more records, probably about $1,000. But it's not, hey, I own a record player. It's the sitting down and the experience of listening to the warmth and that little scratch of the needle of listening to vinyl. I grew up where my dad had records. I listened to Moody Blues and Michael Jackson Thriller and all this all great classic music. Now, if you didn't have the experience, well, then that nostalgia is not there for you. But for me, it's a nostalgia. I've had a couple of conversations with my dad on the phone about getting this vinyl. And you hear him just come alive talking about music. And, it, you know, it was really cool. So that was enriching too. So there is a whole lot of experience in the way that I spent that money. And you can spend your money on all kinds of just stuff, like a big screen TV, whatever, fine. But, and shit, you can make great experience out of that too, but think about the last vacation you had. Every trip that I've had in the fitness industry to go to a conference is really memorable and it was well worth the money I spent on it. And what you'll probably notice is with your clients, these are people that spend money on experiences because overwhelmingly my clients historically, they like to travel. So for them, the investment and the money spent is for the experience. Where that comes back to is you need to make this a great experience that they want to return to, right? Invest in them, engage in them, make sure that it's a high point of their day that they look forward to. Right? So this stuff, this stuff is the key to long-term success in your business. Like Sam is smiling and nodding here for, for you guys listening. So, you know, I'll let you elaborate your thoughts on that. So I actually um, do a few things where I mentor and offer internships to number one, uh, physical therapists, physios, et cetera, people in the rehab field. And then I also do mentorships and I do it both locally and online. And locally here, there are two coaches that I work with where uh, one of the key points that we've been discussing in the past while is how can you maximize the client experience? Because if that person shows up and is in whatever mood, how can you make that person have the best experience each time that they come in so that whether they're in a bad mood or in a happy mood, they want to come. That way, every time that individual thinks of you, they think you are the best person in the world. That way, when there's ever a consideration of, I need to cut somewhere in my life, you're not the finance cut, you're not the experience cut, you're not the time cut, like they want to come and be with you. And you know, and like you mentioned the experience thing, and it, it is like individuals will choose to put their money somewhere. They also choose to put their time somewhere. And I work with a lot of busy professionals who like this morning, I was up at 5.30 to do a rehab session with someone at 6 a.m. And it was like, that guy only has one hour a day that he can make 
and he comes and meets me really early in the, early in the morning because that's the only opportunity that he has and he makes it happen and I'm the only thing that he does other than work from 6 a.m. or I guess he starts work at 7.30 and he goes until 7.30 at night, 12 hour days, working as a medical doctor here in town and I'm, I'm his sole break in the day. And he comes and that's the thing is like he told me, he loves coming, he loves the energy that I bring and that's something that you can start to curate to the individual but deciding how can you maximize that experience for them? What kind of attention are you providing? That doesn't mean like you discussed cueing earlier. And that's something that I ha I've been discussing with the coaches here is the difference between interacting with the client and, and cueing them, particularly over cueing them. Because when you're interacting with them, it doesn't mean that you have to just cue them nonstop. The biggest detail with interacting is making sure that they know you're present, that you're paying attention and that you're actively engaged with them, not just yelling random things at them to get them to exercise. And that's, that's one of my pet peeves is like when you watch a coach just like yell tons and tons of things at people and people don't care about that. Like, sure, they want to know that you are actually watching them, that you are aware of what they're doing, but they don't need like if they're doing an exercise appropriately, you don't have to just yell things at them, like talk to them, explain, give them one cue, something like that. But beyond they're choosing to invest their time, their money, their energy and making sure that they feel like that is a huge return the happier you will make that person. And that comes from every little interaction, the way that you, the gym is set up, the music that's going, the way that you greet them, the way that you say goodbye to them. And a lot of these things are just completely overrated. Like I, I'm fortunate that I have a place where I can basically control all those variables. But even when I was a personal trainer, if I saw someone walking into the door and I um, was at that gym that we, uh, the company that we discussed earlier, if I was on the floor and I was with a different client, I would wave hello and I'd see them go into the change room. I'd give them a handshake if the, when that was allowed as they walked by. And then I would make sure that I had them all set up while I was still interacting with my other client and then continue on, own the session when the time was done, say my goodbyes, get that person ready to go, move on to the next person. But from the start to the end, every situation that I could make that person feel like they were acknowledged, like they were taken care of. And then also making sure that I answered any question I could. And if I couldn't do it in that time frame, see if we could find a solution for that later. And just a lot of those little things are just really not appreciated. People really think even at the highest levels of coaching that it's about like these secret techniques or these secret exercises that we know. And instead it's more often than not, that you're just like an incredibly personable individual that can make awesome connections and make these people feel good while they're with you. I've got, um, uh, similar. I've got a doctor that I train as well. And he was in my basement every evening, almost all through COVID. Right. And he, of course he would joke after the fact, he's like, you know, when we first didn't know what the hell was going on. He's like, we thought, okay, he's going to trade with me for about a week as it starts up and then he's going to get exposed and then we'll go virtual. And then he's going to, and, and forgive the joke, but he literally said he's going to die because he's, you know, right in the middle of it all. And turns out it didn't get crazy here. And he was never exposed to it. He's regularly tested. So we just kept going. He's put on a bunch of muscle. He's stronger. He loves it. And he, he literally jokes that, you know, COVID was great for him specifically. And you talk about music. So in my home gym, I can control the music, just put on whatever I want. And he's got this little thing for like 90s soft ballad stuff because some old girlfriend, uh, seriously, right? So I'd put on this shit or you know, Backstreet Boys or whatever the hell, just, just some of it's a joke, some of it's not. Anyway, he's digging it. We're talking about it. And 
it's nostalgic and it's really fun. So it's part of that relationship that he loves coming back to. We talk about books. We're very, very good friends. And this is someone who, you know, a four to five time a week client during COVID when some of my other people couldn't keep going, guess what? That was actually the difference between me being able to pay bills during all that when we we're also facing all this uncertainty. So it's, it, this, this relationship stuff matters. And like you said, you can get caught up in all these little tweaks and techniques, this and that. But at the same time, I mean, people, your clients, Tony Gentilcore quoted, I think it was, uh, maybe it was Mike Boyle, I think he said it was, it was like, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And, and Tony just said that on the very last podcast, and it's true. And this is the stuff that will sustain your long-term relationships. And think about it this way as well. If a client keeps returning because they enjoy the experience, and maybe you can't program them to the optimal textbook, what you think they need, because maybe they're not bought in yet, right? Maybe they don't, they're not willing to do it. But if you create an experience they really enjoy, if they're social and it's a social experience and you're not doing quite as much as you think they should, but they keep coming back. One, you're building in that consistent habit and that long-term habit accumulation and consistency is what's going to get them to lose the weight or rehabilitate or strengthen their bones or whatever the hell is really most important for them, right? Uh, get their blood pressure, blood sugar down. So that way they literally live longer and have a better quality of life. And if they keep coming, shit, you have a fucking paying client for longer and there's nothing wrong with or unethical about that. I try with my clientele to train them to be so independent that they don't need me anymore. And when you do that, guess what? They don't all try to leave. And if anyone follows my social media, you'll see Larry, okay? So if you don't know who Larry is, please, the, yeah, Sam C. Larry. So if, you, if you're not on Instagram, fuck, just like set up an Instagram account, literally just so you can go see Larry. Go follow me, okay? Andrew Coates Fitness. Um, I'm trying to share tons of stuff. So usually once every couple of weeks or whatever, I'll post up a video of Larry. Larry's 70. He's this, you know, short, grizzled, sweet 70-year-old man, and he's freaky strong. So he wouldn't let me put up the video of him doing a 403 pound trap bar deadlift for one because he figures that one just doesn't count. He's got to be able to do like five to eight of them. That's how he works. But I've got the latest video of him is him carrying 111 pounds in each hand on these farmer, uh, farmer carry handles across the gym. This man is fun to watch. He's strong. He can squat 200 pounds for reps with a safety bar. He can you know do reps with 350 pounds on a trap bar, no problem. And not everybody 70 could do this kind of shit, but he's motivated and inspirational. And guess what? He fucking loves it. He looks forward to and never misses an appointment. And he's going to be a client. He's literally told me I'll be training him until he's dead. And, you know, somebody like Larry, guess what? I'd love to see him even a bit more independent, but man, like I'm committed to make sure this guy's life is as rich as possible. And I, I love working with him. I love the time I get with him. Meanwhile, for some of my younger clients, okay, if I can... Prep them to the point where they're really, really independent, cool. But every person you send off who's no longer working with you is one more person who's saying good things about you out into the ether. It builds a referral base. And over time, that stuff comes back. And you can't predict when referrals will walk up to your door and say, hey, I heard about you. I want to come train with you. But if you do enough of it over time, it should sustain you. Thoughts? Oh, I, I completely agree. I'd say that the vast majority of my either a in-person business or my online personal clients is referrals. And I think most of the time it's, you know, the person will talk about how much care and attention was provided. Not that I had all these magical exercises. And again, like with Larry, 
you know, he's doing smart things consistently well, and he just loves it and looks forward to coming and crushes it each time. And when you can do that on a regular basis, people are going to talk about you because then you're like, you're making them feel happy. They're feeling like they want to have, they want to discuss it. And that's what you do in your life. Like you talk about the, the positive experiences, you share the things that you did. If you go and you have a crappy personal training session, however often you go see someone because you pay them, like you're not that likely to go and talk about it. But if you go and you see someone and you're just like, man, this guy got me deadlifting 403 pounds. And in Larry's case, when he does it for five reps, he's going to be telling everybody about it. And for all of your clients, it could be nothing that, you know, some people would look at and be thinking is like a magical, impressive feat. But for that person, they feel amped up for it, especially if you amp them up because they did it. I've, I, I love working with uh, older individuals because I think that a lot of the cases, they're a population that doesn't get as much attention. They are a, a population that gets so much benefit from it. And I've worked with a few individuals here locally that have dementia and they come and see me because of my uh, experience as a physical therapist. And so then I'm able to provide a little bit more custom tailored approach that they feel more comfortable with, or at least their, their partners who bring them feel more comfortable with. And in those cases, like these are people who like recently, one of my individuals just did hands elevated pushups for a set of 10. He hadn't been able to do it yet. He'd been working on it for three months. Um, yeah, three months. And he finally hit 10 solid reps, chest hitting the bench every time. And he stood up and he was stoked. And his wife was so happy to see how excited he was for this. Act. Like it's hands elevated pushups. It's not like this crazy thing to everyone else, but for him, him he's excited. And for a lot of people, that's going to be like their, their happiest moment in that day, possibly. And if you can deliver that and then also support them after the fact and really make them feel special for the accomplishments, because losing your audio leading up to it. Anyway, again, sorry for the technical difficulties here. Uh, in the meantime, I really like to encourage anyone who's listening to shoot me a message. Anytime you have anything you want to talk about, I'd love to hear from you guys. I uh, appreciate your engagement. So let's see if uh, Sam is back in now. He's connected. Can you hear me? Uh, you sound really good. Okay. Well, right. then we're good to go. We're just on my data. Okay. Um, so how has, how has life changed? Well, you know, you mentioned at the start that I, I've been a decorated strength athlete. For anyone that doesn't know, I used to hold a few records in Alberta for uh, powerlifting strongman. I've held some numbers most places that I've lived. So I would call myself a person who took lifting pretty darn serious. And in the past, I would not compromise a workout for almost any reason. I would figure out a strategy. I would do whatever is necessary to get my training in. I did a rotation uh, where I worked at the Chicago Ballet Academy. And while I was there, I had to work very long hours, like 12 to 14 hours sometimes. And I would go at 4 a.m. to the gym because I would know that I would be able to get two hours in before I had to be at work. I'd go spend that whole time there. And essentially, I was going to make things happen. Now, uh, I still am very consistent about getting in frequent exercise. But the way that I approach that has definitely shifted. If I was really desiring to push my, my numbers, I could make life adjustments. 
But now I prioritize spending more time with my daughter. I really enjoy hanging out with her. I still work a lot. So like yesterday, I uh, worked from six till 12. And then I had a three hour gap where I had to, I was able to work out and do a couple other tasks. But I also decided that I wanted to take my daughter to this thing called the kangaroo farm, which is here in Kelowna for anyone that has an idea what it is. And it's literally a place where you can go and hang out with kangaroos. And um, so my daughter got to go pet kangaroos and they're going to be closing down for the season soon. And I'm also going to be leaving town. So I decided that I would make the opportunity to go and do something with her that she would be able to have a fun, enjoyable experience, have some memories with her. And I still was able to get in my workout, but I had to reduce what I was going to be doing because I didn't have the total amount of time that I would otherwise. And so I ended up only being able to do a few deadlifts and a few bench presses versus all of the other things I was going to do. And now that's maybe not the best case scenario, but for me, you know, I still got to do physical activity, still got to do some enjoyment with my daughter, have fun with her. And that happens a lot more often. That's one of the biggest things that has changed is, how much of a emphasis that I put on getting things done for my training. And now I've shifted over to where there's times where I do a lot of other activities with her that are more physically active. Like if anyone follows me on Instagram, they'll see where I'll post stories about where I'm hiking with her. And if this was uh, before my daughter was born, I never hiked. I was not a hiker. I was not, uh, I was not any kind of endurance individual, but she loves it. She, is so amped if I pull up my hiking backpack she gets right jacked and tries to jump in it by herself and so now I go hiking once or twice a week with her and she, and it's a way that I'm still able to be you know doing some sort of physical activity but it's something we can do together and as she gets bigger and older I'm gonna try to find more options like that and just keep finding ways that I can get a solution when things were a lot crazier and she was a little bit smaller and I couldn't do that much with her I was just finding ways that I could get an exercise either at the beginning of my day where I would get up early and go and exercise. But again, it was a reduced intensity or at the end of my day when she had gone down for the night and most of my work had been done just because I'm that person where if I don't do something physically active, doesn't mean that I have to like do a full on workout, but if I haven't even like gone for a 20, 30 minute walk, I'm just way too amped up and I'm not going to be able to sleep. So finding some sort of option to just regularly do something. Oh, that makes sense. Like we forget sometimes I mean, I've been, you know, I, I have no kids and, and I mean, only fairly recently I've gotten into a serious relationship and I don't talk about my personal relationships on social media. So I'm just kind of all in on, on my career in a lot of ways and workouts, but there's a lot of people in our world that, you know, as you get a little bit older and, and life changes, you know, kids are entering the equation. Again, there's a reason why, you know, this podcast is now a solo rebranded thing is because Dean Guido, you know, my longtime co-host of 150 episodes, uh, you know, his wife's expecting, they're expecting a baby. And so that's going to change things. And he had to make some decisions. Okay. What's really important. What, what do I need to keep going here? And what, you know, should I probably say no to? And it goes to a greater conversation about making decisions about what's important. And, and I'm, I'm just going through a book right now. It's a Dan Kennedy book on, um, God, what is it? Like product productivity-based time management book. And then this ruthless shit, he talks about energy vampires and, and this sort of stuff. And absolutely, I believe in this stuff. You know, you get people who 
they will latch on and they will, and it's not about not helping people. Like I try to give and I love messages. I absolutely love engaging with people, but we, we know that there, you know, are individuals in that space that they will emotionally drain you and they'll just grab on and try to take a lot of your time. So you actually have to get really good at setting some boundaries. And I've gotten a little bit more ruthless about, you know, maybe it's not responding to some things or politely saying, you know, when someone tries to come over and talk to me, I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm really sorry, but I'm in the middle of something. I just can't talk right now. And it, if you respect your time there and you show people that your time is valuable, they will learn to respect your time. Uh, and, you know, your client relationships, you're going to have clients who ask more of you. Um, and it's really important to make sure that they're cared for. But you're also going to have a lot of people that don't, I've got some of my longest, best clients who I have great relationships with. They refuse to text me or do anything outside of our hours. And, you know, and some of those same people I've actually spent social time with outside of it too. So there's that but they just, they don't, they don't need anything. They don't message. It's like, I'll check in on them and they'll be like, Oh no, everything's fine. And they're happy to come back and, and sure. Okay. But you're going to get the occasional person who is a really big, massive drain and stress on your time. And it becomes difficult, but a lot of the books that, you know, teach business success will tell you to let go of those type of clients who Ultimately, there, there's a lot of stress and you're worried about the money because you're afraid to lose it. But just magically almost, if you let those people go, and, and I hate the idea of firing clients. I hate, it's one of my biggest pet peeves when I see people talking about firing clients because I don't like the language. I think it looks terrible. I think it sends a very bad message to anyone who's following your social media if they see you talking about firing clients. And God forbid, you get, those, you get those trainers who brag about it, like it's a badge of honor, like, fuck that, that's terrible shit. I had a brief period of time last year where I had maybe four or five clients who were ultimately collectively causing me a lot of stress. And there, it, it was something that can seep into your interaction with the other people because it's robbing you of your emotional energy. And so what I ultimately did is I let a bunch of them go. I straightened one out, him on his own, He's actually pretty good. Collectively, the whole lot of them were just causing me a lot of stress. And there's a lot of sessions and a fair bit of money there. But one guy got behind and still owes me for a little bit. Okay, fine. Shit, that happens. Sometimes you just got to walk away from it. And I felt better letting them go. And like one of those clients was making a lot of demands of me and, you know, would, would always try to negotiate price and expected a membership thrown in for free and then didn't hold up to his end of the bargain. And there's, there's a whole bunch of things and then things were always changing and it got to a point where it was just causing me stress. So I let them all go quietly, just, they just stopped booking. And then maybe within a couple of months, I think it was roughly about eight new clients all kind of popped up out of referrals. Like that. we were talking about earlier, you can't plan or predict where referrals will come from. They just popped up and I had the space in the room for them and the energy for them. And, and a lot of them turned to be really great clients and going forward, things were better than ever. And you do, it's scary, but sometimes you do have to let go of the people in your life. And, I, and I'm also not talking about like cutting friends just indiscriminately because they're not aligned with your, your, where you're going, your ambitions. But honestly, I've let a few friends go along the way too. We just drifted apart because they weren't supportive of what I was doing and they didn't make a lot of effort. So I'm a big in guarding your emotional energy, guarding your time. Uh, I don't know if you've had experiences with this sort of stuff. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh man. Emma. Yeah. My wife 
has been extremely valuable in this because I was a person who would just do whatever I could to help individuals that were absolutely sucking every little bit of energy out of me. And I would just continue on in that relationship, friends, clients, whatever. I am a classic like people pleaser, whatever I can do for you, I will go above and beyond in every way. And when uh, I started dating my wife, she started to identify some of these characteristics about me and like pointing out how obvious some of my negative relationships with even just a few friends were. And I started to pay attention and really recognize that. And, you know, for me personally, I did have to cut some ties with friends because it was obvious that it was an extremely one-way relationship and they would just take, 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 take and um, doing not wonderful things in the friendship. So then, you know, I did that. And then over time, I got more and more comfortable to really respect my time, uh, particularly as I got more and more into my career and realizing how much I value my own time. And as it's gone on, like you mentioned, you know, things that I've changed about my life as I've moved around. And now as a father, my time is extremely valuable to me. And I don't necessarily do as many uh, general outings as I did before of things of, you know, meeting up with casual friends that I'm maybe not that close with or uh, going and just like hanging out with a bunch of random people where I may have done that previously in the past. And so instead I'm looking to who are my most meaningful friends, people that I really care about or people that are also going in the same direction as me, those kinds of things, because, you know, as much as a friend that I've known for a really long time can be, someone I talk to occasionally, I don't necessarily need to talk to them every week or necessarily need to go meet up with them that frequently. We can still have the relatively same level of friendship. It's just how am I choosing to allocate that time? And <laughs> my dogs hang out with me all the time. They are some of my best, best friends. And uh, Sam paused and is laughing because I just picked up my cat, Ozzy. If anyone again follows my Instagram, they'll probably <laughs> giant ball of fluff if anyone knows uh, Megan Calloway who is also going to be here uh, for that weekend of presentations but we couldn't pull it off uh, this year uh, she's got this giant fluffy cat named Fluffy Eric so Ozzy doesn't look overly amused right now he's uh, <laughs> I might need your services I know he's been limping a little bit uh, I think he jumped down off of something high and I think his foot is bugging him so we might get mm -hmm. some physical therapy for him we'll see I'm gonna let him go because he seems to want to get down <laughs> carry on with what you're saying uh you know at the end of the day there are situations where you might have to let go of a client you might have to change different situations and relationships etc and it can be it can be tricky i don't think personally i agree there's a lot of individuals who are almost proud of it when they let go of a client or yeah like you said fire clients i think that's such an odd way to have a, as a perspective i have let go of a handful and in those situations it's almost exclusively that either a they're you know not paying when they should be and i try to be very willing to make adjustments where necessary but the bigger one for me personally is that they just exceed expectations beyond belief they want way too many things they're extremely time demanding like above and beyond that what's not only associated with what they're paying but even necessary like i've had individuals where they want me to email them their program every single day, even though I send like a week update, but they want me to send them each individual day on the day they're doing it with direct notes and additional written out information. And so like 
it's very unnecessary. It's extremely redundant. And, you know, they want every single repetition looked at with an additional note and cue given to them and <laughs> not going to happen. I appreciate you're very motivated, but it yeah. doesn't need to be done. It do and, you know, I personally try to have these conversations with people at first, but sometimes they're not willing to compromise. They're not willing, like, that's what they want. And if that's the case, I'm not the right person for them. And that's the conversation that I'll bring up. And if that person... I, I personally view it more as like they often leave me and, and exactly. I'm okay with yeah. yeah, because I provide the service that they're looking for. And there are times where that's just going to happen. Yeah. Often you just have to quietly let them leave and, and it avoids confrontation and it creates space both for your emotional well-being, but also space for the, the opportunity to find some new people. And I don't care where you are in your career, you, if you get caught in this idea that you need to cater to people who make unreasonable demands, it's a bad precedent to set with that client for other people and for yourself, because you will always be beholden to that mindset and you will always be stressed out over money. You will always be stressed out over business. And it takes a little bit to let go of that. It was challenging for me, but when I did, I felt a lot more free. You start to trust. You do this long enough. You trust the fact that, you know, new people are going to find you. You'll get referrals. You're really, really core people will be with you. I mean, you know, we just dealt with fucking COVID. And, you know, I had March and June, we each had, you know, we had half a month with the way that Edmonton, uh, you know, shut down the gyms. And each of those months still somehow were 100% income months for me. Um, the two months in between April and May, my income was probably about 60% of normal. I still had people who wanted to train with me, did a little bit of online. And think about it. And, and if you've experienced this, I want you to message me, okay? If you've worried about or stressed about that, oh, maybe all my clients could suddenly up and leave, right? We all have that thought, that worry. Uh, they could all up and leave tomorrow and a month from now, and then, you know, that's it, the career's over, and you've wondered, hey, should I stay in this, in this business? If COVID didn't wipe out your business, and you were able to keep going through online or outdoors or pivot in some way, shape, or form, whatever the fuck you could do, and you're doing pretty okay right now, despite the uncertainty, I promise you there's nothing going to come along that's going to wipe you out. So go forward with the confidence that even through the worst of it, you've managed and then everything else from here on out should be pretty good. Put it and put it in that kind of perspective. I, I really believe there are going to be there's going to be a big exodus from our industry in the next little while. I'm working on a, a piece about this, but there's going to be a lot of opportunity for the experienced people. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for people who stay the course, invest in their own education, like we talked about earlier, work hard and and double down on making sure that the clients you have are really, really happy. And it doesn't mean meeting unreasonable expectations or, or, or losing sleep to, I mean, I, I believe you can be a concierge to your clients, absolutely, but even there, there's limits. Like you're just describing some, a client really truly wanted you to be like waiting at their beck and call almost, or, you know, someone, if you've, everybody's had somebody who's wanted to be able to schedule last minute and have availability and just jump in whenever they wanted. Yeah, don't cater to that kind of stuff. You have to set a reasonable expectation. But um, if you're going strong despite having dealt with COVID, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to be okay. So draw confidence from that. Yeah, definitely. I think that if someone makes it to this time, they're going to be in good waters. 
I agree. I think so. And there are going to be a lot of people getting out of the way, creating, um, you know, there'll be, there will be increased supply and interest in fitness. We are now starting to see, I mean, I, I try not to plug in too much to news media and social media and you occasionally get someone who's like, no, it's, you know, that's, that's a, like, literally I'll hear this, like, oh, that's, that's your privilege to do that. And, and that's a whole different thing. I'm not going to touch on that. You know, I, I know there are different people in the world, different populations who are more heavily affected by some of the shit going on politically and socially. We know that that's true. But I also don't believe that any of us is under any obligation to torture ourselves with negativity, emotion, drown in media, drown in news. News is sensational. It is, you know, it's not this thing, oh, it's biased because I believe, I don't go into politics or like, as I believe in like some sort of right-wing type stuff. That's not it at all. It's just, we know that the news media is geared towards fear and anger and these emotions engage you and you stay plugged into it. So you kind of have to set this stuff aside a little bit. Anything that's truly worth knowing is going to come to you through the either anyway. So I'll bring this back on track a little bit. It's, I want to say this. You're not doing yourself any justice by staying really plugged into this. And throughout COVID, we saw what I will, will call narratives. And I'm not diminishing its severity. You know, it was a very serious thing. But there was this narrative that it's this, you know, life-ending, um, career-ending thing. And we have to defer everything to, you know, making sure we save every life. I apologize, I'm sort of losing my track here because I'm wandering a bit of far afield. But, you know what, I'm embarrassed myself here and, uh, and admit that I, I kind of lost freely where I was trying to go with this. So everyone listening to me like, what the fuck? Um, I, I'm gonna defer it to you and see if you can uh, add something to this. And if I get my track back, I'll, I'll throw it back in. Yeah, absolutely. So I think off the recognition or just the points you were saying, I don't know if it's going to be where you're going, but nonetheless, if people find that they're really plugged into a lot of these things, it can be very easily draining on you, especially if you are surrounded by a lot of the negativity. And if anyone knows how a lot of these algorithm based information work for the different social media platforms, they're driven to keep you engaged on the platform for as long as possible, which tends to mean that they're going to select information that's more sensational to show you and try to purposefully keep you engaged with something and then progressively keep ramping it up over time, which is probably not great for your mental health. And especially if you're not well-versed at also being able to recognize what's going on and knowing when to be able to call bullshit on a lot of it. And that's where there's a great book. Um, let's see. He's checking something, so hopefully it pops right back on again. And when what Sam was saying, it is really important, you know, this all goes back to guarding your emotional energy and, uh, you know, getting too engaged in social media. Yeah, I'll just, you're back. I got it here. Oh, I don't think my phone's. Oh. You got it? We're good? We're good. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's called Calling Bullshit, and it's, a, uh, it's got a yellow cover. Great, excellent book. It goes through a lot of this stuff. Helps to highlight critical reasoning skills that individuals can take just going and actually being a part of this current age. It's stuff that we theoretically should probably learn in school just because it's so valuable for pretty much everything. But 
it's not taught and it's something that a lot of people really struggle with you know common information that's told to you on a regular basis is probably to some degree bullshit and if you're not able to really understand how to notice that how you can then bet it and a lot more you can go down a dangerous path so it's just beneficial to really get a better bullshit meter and the book teaches you that i actually remember where i was trying to go with this all guys I okay let's hear it um, early in in the covid it, it was all talking about you know how scary and bad this stuff was and we're talking about you know restricting businesses and closing everything down but it, it wasn't okay to talk about personal responsibility and exercising and getting out and, and being healthy, which seems bizarre. Now it's shifting and it's now allowable because the World Health Organization has been publishing this data itself that you know exercise is the best way to mitigate a negative outcome. So we are going to see a major influx of, and I already saw, we sort of had this mini you know, New Year's resolution thing when the gyms reopened here. We are gonna see, and it's not going to change society. I mean, fear of heart disease and fear of diabetes and fear of all the negative things associated with obesity has not changed the way that our society acts on a fundamental level. So this is not going to fix it all, but it will cause enough people to say, hey, I need to make some changes. And then it becomes your job to help them keep it and not just become a victim to a, a resolution phase and fall back off into their old ways as, as they start to get complacent. You know, this, this fear associated with this, this novel disease can be a motivating thing to get people to make some changes so that way you know there's less likelihood of something bad happening and we now know that the overwhelming majority of the deaths and, and the, the very negative outcomes are associated with well age is one thing for sure but what's associated with age you know you have higher instances of hypertension diabetes uh, you know obesity and and you know as well intentioned as kind as the people who are saying that, you know, the, the, the stuff that falls under the health at any size umbrella, and there's some truth to it, but ultimately there's a very strong relationship between obesity, diabetes, and bad outcomes of this disease. Um, so there are going to be people who decide, hey, I want to take this into my own hands. I want to be healthy. So they're going to be seeking out personal trainers. And there are probably going to be for a little while less experienced and qualified personal trainers as some of the middle tier people in the industry just flock out of it. They're going to go become paramedics or find careers where income opportunity in their eyes is more stable. I, I actually don't think that stuff's more stable because I think if you really double down on this, you have great earning potential as a trainer, but you're going to see an increase of demand for our services and you're going to see a reduction in the supply of skilled and qualified people for a little while. So it's a great opportunity to stay in the industry. Thank you. I brought back around to where I wanted to go with it. Anyway, so is there anything else burning a hole in your mind, um, you know, kind of coming up going forward, uh, anything that you've got planned, and then I'll make sure everybody knows where to find you. Um, well, there's a, a few things with both E3 Rehab and Citizen Athletics coming up, but I'm not too sure about what I'm actually allowed to say publicly. So unfortunately, I will have to that's restrict okay. that. Uh, both have some big announcements coming between uh, November and the new year. So hopefully that will hit ground. And yeah, I'm just going to be constantly chipping away at new stuff. All right. So uh, let's remind everybody again, while you were uh, resetting, I kind of pointed out to go follow your stuff. But uh, what are the social media outlets? Yeah, best options for most people is going to be either Instagram or YouTube. You can find 
myself on Instagram at dr.samspinelli. You can find my two businesses, Citizen Athletics and E3 Rehab, both respectively on each platform. Uh, the longer, uh, longer form content is on U YouTube and then the shorter stuff, uh, not necessarily as awesome in my opinion, is on Instagram, but lots of people like the short stuff, so that's where you find it. Sure. The short stuff is a great way, great gateway into getting people to check out the longer form stuff. All right, it's been yes. having yep. you on. I really appreciate your time and coming here. So obviously we'll be chatting in the future about the plans for uh, Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium 2021. I mean, it's our plan to go ahead with it. Um, unless like things just have not improved to the point where we can, you know, realistically pull it off. But, you know, I'm having faith that, you know, we'll figure a lot of this stuff out and we'll be able to pull it off successfully. So we'll I think so. About that. And, and anyone listening, yeah, I know, I know it's a long way off. We're talking about a full year, but it's something that as we get into 2021 early, I'll be talking more about, I'll have, uh, you know, the, the speaker lineup finalized. I'll bring those guests on. We'll talk about the plans for it because I do miss what we lost this year in travel. I had a whole bunch of things oh, that yeah. I tend to go to. But I also chose, I put that to bed and I said, okay, that's, I accept the fact that, you know, we missed out on this. And like you and I talked about, we put our time and effort into productive, constructive things, forward facing efforts to get into 2021 and beyond as successful as possible and prepared for it. But uh, yeah, I want to bring this great event back and get us back to you know, getting to experience in-person education, continuing education, get people together and network. It's one of my favorite things in the industry and share great people like yourself with uh, with the people who will come to them. And in this case, you know, getting you on the podcast to make sure that everybody who's listening is is following your work because it's that great blend of, you know, the physical rehabilitation side of stuff with strength and performance. And there's not many people who do that well in our industry on both fronts, right? Thank you. I appreciate that. It's the truth. And in the meantime, guys, if you are not yet following me on social media, but you're enjoying this, uh, you know, I'd love to chat with you. So uh, find me, Andrew Coates Fitness uh, on Instagram, and then shoot me a message. And other than that, if you haven't yet given me a review on this, I, you know, reviews are great. I actually wouldn't mind a few more. Uh, bumps up, bumps the podcast up in the, in the ratings, in the rankings. And, uh, you know, share it with someone you know, you have your personal trainer friends, industry friends who you feel like these episodes would be really valuable. And if you're brand new to finding this, well, forgive my disorganized, you know, uh, thoughts today and our technical uh, disruptions, because this stuff is not the norm. And just scroll back through the library stuff. Sam's been on before. I think you've been on three times, if I'm not mistaken, once with our friend Darren. And uh, we've had Dean, we've talked about Dean Somerset, we've had Dean on. And most recently, I just had Tony Gentlecore on. Go check that one out. That's a lot of fun. Dr. Mike Isertel, uh, Matthew Ibrahim, these are all really great people. So I'm really proud of the lineup. And if you go back a little further, when Dean was still with me, we've got Dr. John Berardi, Martin Rooney, and some, some other big stars of our industry. So check that stuff out if you're interested and uh, drop me a line. And uh, Sam, I'm going to get this all to you. It'll be released. Well, anyone listening to it, it's already out. But uh, for Sam, because this is uh, real time, it'll be coming in your hands for Tuesday morning. All right. Thanks, brother. It's been great chatting with you.